Here's a little bonus material for you this morning to make it worth your effort to come to church. The two hymns that we just sang, Holy, Holy, Holy and Speak, O Lord, are contrast of the different styles of hymns. Stuart Townsend and Keith Getty that wrote Speak, O Lord, they write in lyrics in the more didactic form that was like what Newton and Cowper wrote and Isaac Watts, the conveying of ideas through thoughtful words. Whereas Reginald Hebert was that we sang Holy, 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 one of the things that made him so popular in his day was he was the one who initiated and was the trendsetter in changing hymn lyrics from this sort of thoughtful didactic to a more poetic style without losing deep, rich meaning. And so, yeah, we sang two separate hymns to illustrate the diversity of worship through music in the kind of lyrics that we sing. I know you probably didn't really care about all that, but my mind does and I just had to get it out. I really sit here the rest of the entire sermon wishing, okay, I got to find a place to say all that. Yeah, just get it out, just get it out and get it over with, right? I'll try not to do like a, a massive information dump here before we actually get to the sermon. Does anybody else need to get anything off their chest before we start this morning? So we're finishing up John chapter 6. I don't know how this feels to you, but to me it feels like I've been in John chapter 6 almost as long as I've been in the Gospel of John preaching it to you. Not in that, not in the sense that it's taking too long to get through the sixth chapter, but in the sense that, wow, this was really bigger than I ever thought it was. It was more important as a single unit of thought and expression than, than I ever would have imagined a single chapter in the Gospel of John to be. And as such, this last section that we're looking at today, John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71, are in a sense, really last week was the climactic moment of John chapter 6. It was the climactic moment of the entire purpose for which Jesus had fed the 5,000 on that Galilean hillside and then the very next day met them in the city of Capernaum where he has this, has this confrontation with the crowd and there becomes this decision point and division begins to occur where some people believe in Jesus and go with him and others walk away from him. That was really the climactic point last week's passage. And this week is kind of like, well, it's like the ending to the story. The climactic moment was some people believed and some people didn't, which is really included in this passage. But the last paragraph is the ending of the story of chapter 6. So let's start by reading together the verses of 60 through 71 from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who these were that who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you have given us spirit and life through Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you have chosen us and called us to you so that we may have spirit and life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have dwelt within us that we may have spirit in life and fellowship with you and Jesus and the Father and with each other. And I ask, Lord, that you would nurture this fellowship that we all have with you and with each other and that you would continue to feed us this bread of life that we need every day. And I ask, Lord, that specifically in this hour, in this time that we have looking into your word, that you would plant in me the words of truth that give spirit and life. And that I would say the things that you would have said to each person who needs to hear them. And I ask it, Lord, because you desire to give good things to your children. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So... You start out verse 6. This whole thing kind of starts out a little rough, doesn't it? I mean, you know, Jesus has said this very hard thing, like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's like, whoa, this is a little rough, right? We talked about that last week. And then the people just kind of respond to this. I mean, it's not that hard for us to imagine their response here. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like, this seems kind of uncomfortable. I can imagine it feeling uncomfortable for them. And they respond with, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Right? And that sounds like kind of weird to us. Like, what do you, what? What do you mean? Right? And so, but we got to understand that that was their way of expressing something that we would express as well. Were we in their shoes, we would just use a different cliche. For us, it would be something like, well, this is a hard pill to swallow. Right? That's more natural for us. Right? If the crowd had responded, well, that's a hard pill to swallow, Jesus. We would be like, yeah, I got that. I understand that. But they didn't because that's not how they think and that's how they talk. And so they used their, they expressed it in the way that they know to express it, which is, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And the people who heard this, see, their problem is the same problem that a lot of people have with Jesus. They just can't get past this idea of feeding on Jesus. They're just stuck on this thing of eating his flesh and drinking his blood and they just can't get past it to understand what he's really trying to say to them. 
And we do. We, we have the same problem ourselves, right? I mean, how many times have you struggled with something Jesus asked you to do or believe? How many times this week have you struggled with something that Jesus asked you to do or believe? All of a sudden, I don't know about you, but when I recognize that, it's they don't seem so... This group saying to Jesus, well, this is a hard saying. This is a hard pill to swallow, Jesus. That they don't seem so reprobate, so bad. When I realize I have struggled myself this week with something that Jesus asked me to do or believe. But the beautiful thing about our Savior is that when he asks us to do something or to believe something that's hard, a hard thing to hear from him, he just doesn't leave us where we are to believe it and do it. He gives us himself so that we are able to do it. He gives us life through his spirit, right? He even says it there. In verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. And Jesus said this in response to them because he knew they were grumbling. Well, how did Jesus know they were grumbling? How does he know that? And probably, I don't know, I mean, really the real question behind the question, right? There's always the question, then there's the question behind the question. Well, how did Jesus know they were grumbling? What does that mean for me? If he knew they were grumbling, like John points out, that because he knows all things and he knows the hearts of men, oh, shoot. He knows that mean. Wait, he, to, he knows when I'm grumbling, even when I don't say it out loud? And he knows why I'm grumbling? Oh, shoot. This is rather uncomfortable. Right? I mean, we all have that experience of where we don't really say what we're thinking to a person we're talking to because we don't want that, you know, uncomfortableness of saying what we really think. So we just keep it to ourselves, right? The old rabbit from uh, Bambi. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. I wonder sometimes if that's why y'all are so silent after my preaching. So he knows what I'm thinking. He knows when I'm grumbling. Well, that's uncomfortable. And he responds with, so this bothers you. What if you see Jesus ascending? He says these words, right? Do you take offense of this? What if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? Well, what does that mean? I mean, the first thing that strikes me is you can't hear Jesus say this, use this language of ascending to where he was before and not think of the transfiguration that occurs on top of the mountain. And then, of course, his actual ascension to where he was before that occurs in Acts chapter 1. And we think of that in like, maybe you made those connections when you read those words of, Acts chapter 1 and the transfiguration. And we read the Gospel of John as those who already know what's going to happen next. 
we're reading it because we know the events that occur and we know what takes place next. And the hardest thing to do is to read it and try to read it limiting your knowledge to what they knew at that moment, right? Nobody had seen Jesus ascend anywhere. Not even James, John, and Peter had seen Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, had seen that occur. They didn't have that. They didn't know that when Jesus says these words to them. And so this phrase, ascending to where I was before, it had to be confusing to them. What does that mean? And of course, we understand now that it means that he was going to go back to heaven in his rightful place in the throne room of heaven where he was before he came to this earth in the form of an infant. And, okay, so we understand that, but still, why does he say that? He says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? That's his response to us being offended at him and our grumbling at him. So how is this a response? They see him as this human who grew up in Nazareth. And they're offended that he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They find that offensive. And his response to their offense is, what if you saw me as I really am? Would you still be offended at the idea of eating my flesh and drinking my blood? The response itself shows that they don't see Jesus the way he really is. They see him as something other than what he really is. And that comes back to, well, what does it mean for me that Jesus could see my grumbling? It means I don't see him the way he is. Or I wouldn't be grumbling. And Jesus really seems to emphasize this point here in the next verse about the flesh is no help at all and his words are spirit and life. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He really seems to emphasize this, that the flesh is no help at all. And look, oh my gosh. Like, I really understood that this week. I don't know about you, but I really understood that the flesh is no help at all. It was like abundantly, painfully clear to me this week that the flesh is no help at all. But that didn't really help. Knowing that my flesh is no help didn't seem to really help. It kind of sort of explained why things were so difficult and why this was such a struggle this week. But it didn't, didn't really seem to help me get over the struggle. What seems to have made the difference is to, I'll use the word acquiesce. That it's the spirit who gives life. That was what made difference. And my conclusion is that's the only thing that can make the difference. When we're grumbling, the part of us that wants to grumble isn't going to help us stop grumbling. That almost sounds silly to say it out loud, doesn't it? The part of us that wants to grumble isn't going to help us stop grumbling. And the only part that's going to help us is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit speaking the words of life to us 
I know you're frustrated and it feels like Jesus is asking too much. But this is the high king of heaven. And oh, remember, he gave everything, including his own flesh and his own blood to redeem you. Do you really think if he wants you that badly as his child, as a resident of his kingdom, that he's going to really just try to make life hard for you? That's where the spirit speaks life. But there is a catch. To receive life from Jesus is to believe in Jesus. And ultimately, we have to understand this kind of thing that's not really, this is really uncomfortable. Judas never believed in Jesus. Judas was one of the 12. Look, the dude literally hung out with Jesus every day. And he still didn't believe. How is that possible? I mean, like, literally, literally, how is it possible you can just live with Jesus every day for three years and not believe in him. And even at some point, Judas has to be among these individuals that are listed in the Gospels of going out and sharing the Gospel and talking about Jesus and doing the things that the Twelve did. You're doing that and you don't believe in who he is? How does that work? Well, Judas didn't believe in Jesus, but Judas had a belief about Jesus. Judas believed in the Jesus he wanted to be, not in the Jesus who really is. Has that ever happened to you? You have this idea of who Jesus is and you believe in that. But it's not the Jesus who really is. Of course, I know the answer to that question. It's almost impossible for us at some point in our life not to have had a wrong picture of who Jesus is. The difference is that Judas wanted the Jesus he wanted so bad, he rejected the Jesus who is. And that's that's just a bridge we all have to cross. This is the Jesus who is. This is the Jesus you want. Are you going to go from here to there? And then just as stunning, I mean, I guess maybe it shouldn't be stunning to us, but just as Judas ultimately walks away from Jesus, so also does a large number of these people who call themselves his disciples. They just walk away. They just walk away from Jesus. Like, are you kidding me? You walk away from Jesus? Are you kidding me? How? I mean, like, I understand that today, you know, in our modern world where, you know, you can't really touch Jesus. You can't really put hands on him like we can everybody else. And But look, like, you, you people literally saw him in the flesh, you could touch him. He fed you the day before. 
He literally gave you bread and fish out of nothing the day before. And today you walk away? Are you kidding me? How? How do you, how, how do you do that? We've all seen those who start out with Jesus, but then his demands are just too much. Wait, you mean you want me to give up this as part of following you? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Sorry. I like this way too much to give it up for you. So yeah, I want to walk away. See, every person who decides to follow Jesus faces this turning back moment like the crowd is experiencing in this second and that Judas himself has to really come to terms with later. This moment where we have to make a decision to walk away like the crowd or stick with Jesus like the twelve. Now, for most of us, this really kind of occurs in like this big moment of crisis earlier on in our walk in faith. Sometimes it occurs later. Sometimes it occurs twice or three times over the course of our life in Christ where we have to, whoa, wait. Look, I mean, like I've really, like the last two times, I didn't say no when you put this big demand on me. But like this time, are you, I mean, like, this is the third time, Jesus. Third time you've asked me to give up something really important to me to follow you. Is there going to be more? Like, I mean, is there going to be a fourth or a fifth? How many more of these are we going to have? And like the other ones matter, but this really matters. Really? Are you sure? Those moments happen to us. Like we really wish it was just once. But in reality, they occur often, sometimes within the same year. Now, that's a very unpleasant year, by the way. I will acknowledge to you, having been down that road before, that it's an unpleasant year when Jesus asks you multiple times in the same 12 butts for big demands or what feels like big demands. However, as all of us who've walked, who've come to that moment, who've stood there, And heard Jesus say it and chosen him. A few weeks, a few months later, it's like, why was that such a big deal back then? Like, why did I want that so bad? It doesn't really seem that big a deal now that I've walked away from it. It seemed like a really big deal in the moment, but now it doesn't. Why? Well, in part, the answer to that question is because, like everything, we believe the lie. Right? This will give me true happiness and contentment and satisfaction. Not Jesus. Nope, nope. Well, Jesus plus my cheesecake will give me true contentment and satisfaction and happiness. No, no, it doesn't, no, no. And once we phrase it, once we say it that way, once we actually are dumb enough to say it out loud that way, we almost understand why Jesus 
asked us to give it up. Oh, it's me and cheesecake that gives you happiness. No, I'm not going to compete with your cheesecake. I am your king, I am your savior, I am your redeemer. The cheesecake never died for you. The cheesecake never bled for you. I did. And I will have your love and devotion without any competition. Well, okay. I guess you're right. It is kind of silly, isn't it? See, if we could just articulate those moments that way, if we could just get it said out loud that way, it just becomes obvious what we're supposed to do, doesn't it? And just like the 12, our moment of decision is one where it shows whose we are and who chooses us. That's kind of the uncomfortableness of this decision point, of this conflicting moment of division where I'm divided about what I want. Of course, the reality was I was divided about it for a long time. I just didn't know I was divided. It wasn't uncovered and exposed like it is at this moment. And then the decision has to be made. The choice has to be made. Am I going to just settle for the lie? Or am I going to choose the truth? Well, what do we do with all this? Right? So now this is where I force you to make a decision. So what do we do with all this? Well, I have some suggestions. When Jesus has a hard thing to say to you and to me, listen to it. If he's got something hard to say, there's a reason. And it ain't because he just feels like picking on you today. That's not the reason. And after he has said it, you should wrestle with it. And you should wrestle with all the implications that come with it, including our true desires and our fears connected to this hard thing. All of it. Look, it's not bad to wrestle with it. Right? In, in one way... The whole reason Jesus said the hard thing to us was so that we would wrestle with it. Because in the struggle of wrestling with this, we start to realize what our true desires and our fears are and why we need to change. So wrestle with it. If Jesus says something hard to you, wrestle with it. And I hope you wrestle with it Hard. Because I do. And I don't want yours to be any easier than mine. I'm not that loving. But when you wrestle with it, don't wrestle through it alone. Do not wrestle with it alone. Remember, our hearts are pre-wired to deceive us. If you talk to yourself about it, you will tell yourself a lie. Get a true objective understanding from another mature believer. That's how you find the truth. Yes, you have to talk with yourself about it. 
but you just don't automatically believe what you tell yourself. You talk to somebody else and that somebody else should be a mature believer that can give you not just a biblically accurate understanding, but also an objective understanding knowing you as well. The other thing is when Jesus tells us something hard, he already knows you're going to grumble about it. Not only does he know when you've grumbled, he already knows you're going to grumble before he even says it to you. And even if we grumble in our spirit without saying it out loud, we're still grumbling. But when we do recognize that we're grumbling about something Jesus said to us, ask yourself this question. What am I grumbling about? What is it I am not getting from Jesus that I want? Now, I'll tell you something. Having done this experiment before, you ain't gonna like the answers. So you just be, I just want to warn you ahead of time, when you ask yourself, what am I grumbling about and what is it I'm not getting from Jesus? You are not going to like the answers. That's okay. It's okay. In one way, in reality, we shouldn't like the answers because they reveal something about our hearts, which goes back to the original reason Jesus said something hard to us to begin with. Not because he wants to punish us, not because he wants to make us feel bad. In reality, the whole reason Jesus says something hard to us is so we can feel better. Because when we realize that we're doing this and we're willing to let it go and give it up, life's better. Life feels better. There's more joy. And joy lasts longer. That's why he's doing it. At the end of the day, the reason he's doing it is so my joy and your joy in him can be complete and full. And like this, Jesus' response to this crowd, when Jesus tells us something hard, remember to see him as the high king of heaven. The one in the transfiguration or the one in Revelation 19, one that's got the big sharp sword coming out of his mouth and has got the name king of kings written on his thigh and on the big horse that looks scary. Remember, this is the Jesus that's telling us something hard. Hearing it from that Jesus makes it an easier pill to swallow. And when Jesus says something that is hard, the hard part comes not really from him, but from our own flesh. The reason it's a hard thing is because of our flesh, not because of him. And it being hard reveals more about our walking in the flesh than it does about him. Whenever he says something hard, it really says more something. It's a lot more about me than it is about him, but not in that self-centered, I am the center of the world way, but in that reality that, yeah, you know, there's this, there's this thing I've been believing about you that's not true. That's why it's hard. There's this thing I've been believing about me that's not true. This has been this this is the thing I believe about me about you that's not true.
And he does it out of his love for us. I mean, really, think about this for a second. I mean, we've all, whether, you know, whether it's siblings or children, we've all had these individuals in our lives that are believing something about themselves that's not true. And we just usually roll our eyes and don't say anything. But eventually, at some point, we finally just reach a point where we have to say something to them. And true, sometimes we do it out of our own frustration of just being sick and tired of him hearing them say it one more time. That's true, we do that. But ultimately, the reason we say something to them is we're just tired of seeing them live in the emptiness of the lie they believe. And that's why Jesus says a hard thing to us. He does it out of his love for us because he doesn't want to see us living any longer in the emptiness of the lie that we believe. And the truth is Jesus loves us. That's the truth. And everything he does is an act of love even when he says something that's hard to hear. Even when he asks me something to do something or to believe something, that's a tough pill to swallow. He's still loving me and he's still loving you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us this much. Thank you that you just give us a never ending stream of loving us. Even if it's something hard to hear from you. And thank you, Father, that the greatest joys that we experience actually come from listening to you say something that's hard and receiving something that's a tough pill to swallow. And I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, I pray you just never stop doing that for us. That you never stop doing that for me. That I would, every time there's a hard pill that needs to be swallowed, that I would hear you tell me that's what needs to happen so that my joy, so that our joy in you will be complete. In Jesus' name, amen.